Welcome to Season 8 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a fascinating journey into the lives of top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories many you've never heard before. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and through our partnership with Last Word on Sports Media Podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly sponsored by Mr. Duct, Chicagoland's premier comprehensive air duct cleaning and ventilation for residential and commercial properties. Their motto is simple. They're upfront and honest. Find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. This week, we feature the television voice of the Chicago Cubs and longtime voice of ESPN Baseball, John Shambi. Let's be clear, I done well over a hundred games at Wrigley Field before I ever got the job. Yet even still, now two years plus a little bit into it, there's still plenty of nights when I sit there and whether it's full or empty, and it feels completely brand new because it's so beautiful and so special. He's better known as Boog, a nickname given to him for his resemblance of the robust Baltimore Orioles star of the 70s, Boog Powell. But Chambi's robust voice and sense of humor has garnered him many honors in one of the most coveted jobs in baseball, play-by-play announcer for the Chicago Cubs, a job he got in 2021. Chambi has also been the voice of the Atlanta Braves and Miami Marlins, and now he'll be the World Series voice on ESPN Radio. Lots on this man's plate, including shoes? So, John Chambi, tell me a story I don't know. George, uh, I have probably 120 pairs of shoes in my closet. Oh, my. Yeah, it, it's, I would say it's something that sort of mushroomed during COVID. Um, it's sort of the combo of, I think the, the one detail, I, I'm probably like about 6'1". I think that'd be my media guide height, 6'1"-ish. Um, but I have size 15 shoes. So I can't just find a pair of sneakers and say, I want those because they likely won't have them. So it just sort of became a scavenger hunt for me to find stuff that I really liked because they weren't always available in size 15. And then during COVID and we're all just sort of sitting, hanging out, it kind of grew. And then I guess sort of became my thing the past few years. And it's been, yeah, it's been sort of a, a fun deal. And it's gotten to a point now where, you know, last couple of years in the playoffs, you know, I'll be in clubhouses and players will come up to me and ask me, you know, so what are you wearing today? Or, you know, make a comment about shoes they saw that I had. It's, it's, it's pretty funny, but it's also, there's pressure because I have people, you know, walking up to me, looking at the shoes on a given day, you know, it's game 67 in Pittsburgh and a couple of our guys come up to me and they're like, yo, those aren't, don't love those. And it's like, well, thanks. Uh, <laughs> so there's, there's a lot to live up to. You and I share an issue because I wear a size seven and a half, which is also oh. a tough shoe to find. Yeah. And I've, I resolved that issue by going to Zappo and Zappos yeah, will yeah. Zappos is great because they've got a million size seven and a halves and you know you can you can try them on and bring them back so yeah. thank goodness because if you try to buy them in the shoe store forget about it Zappos is awesome no question I'm curious does this make you the Imelda Marcos of baseball play-by-play announcers no I it <laughs> it, it, it crossed my mind um but I, I I'm 
I'm going to resist on that one. I don't feel like um, she was ever painted in, in a real flattering light. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm going to say no, I'm going to, I'm going to try and build my own non-political brand on the shoe front. Okay. So people admire them and they're always asking you about the shoe. So that's nice. It's an interesting hobby to say the least. Yeah, it's weird. It definitely <laughs> and it's probably it's probably not, you know, I'm single. So I, I would say at 53 years old, it's probably not quite age appropriate. I don't I don't think that most guys my age are uh are dabbling in in that. It's usually the game of the kids in the twenties in their twenties or thirties. So what? Who cares, right? Yes, I do not. So let's talk about Wrigley Field and the job as the voice of the Cubs. I called it one of the most coveted jobs in the game. Do you agree? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think because of the place, because of the history, and because of the fan base, that sort of combo, um, just the relevance of it. And I think I think that you know, part of the reason that goes into it is, you know, the happenstance of the fact that they were on WGN for so long. And so in so many of those markets where baseball, you know, major league baseball had not, you know, reached with a team, you know, the Cubs caught fans in their WGN netting. The following is a WGN-TV sports presentation. The opening day of the season. Mike Morgan and the Cubs. Greg Maddox for the Atlanta Braves. All the excitement ready to come your way from Wrigley Field before a capacity crowd here in Chicago. Stay with us for all the excitement. So I, I think that the growth of the Cubs fan base, you know, sort of mirrors, you know, the heyday of, of WGN and, and then put that job in just such a, you know, spotlight. I mean, look, I grew up a huge baseball fan. I was born in Philadelphia. I love the Phillies grew up in New York city, two teams. And, you know, I didn't get, we didn't have cable till much later. My parents were divorced. My dad had it. So I remember, you know, sort of vaguely, but once sort of high school came around, I can remember coming home in the afternoons and uh, being at a friend's house and watching Cubs games. Uh, and so that it's, uh, yeah, it's a big deal. Well, that's what we did growing up here. Of course, before the Cubs game, there was a Bozo Circus. Bozo Circus is on the air. That was on from 12 to 1, and then the Cubs game came on at 120. Billy Williams once said that was a great lead-in for the Cubs, particularly in 1969, that fateful season. So that show, which is now canceled, that was the lead-in. Bozo's Circus. That's right. Always hated the circus, not going to lie to you. (laughs) What is it about Wrigley Field that makes it unique for a play-by-play guy? just that view that see every day and i think especially i think the there's a weird part of the job that i think that if you pulled every play-by-play guy in major league baseball and you asked them 
you got a seven o'clock game. What's it like getting to the booth at two in the afternoon? I think to a man, they would, we would all say, yeah, that's one of the really cool parts of the job. And then when you do that at Wrigley, when it's quiet, when you really get to take in the architecture and just the view in and then beyond the ballpark, it's, yeah, you feel like you're being transported back in time. There's an element of it. It feels as though you're on the set of The Natural. And the sun cuts through the stands, across the field. It's getting the pitcher for a little while. It's getting the batter for a little while. It's bouncing off the bleachers. And then some of those colors come across, the, you know, the pinks and the oranges and the yellows. And I'm sitting there doing a game. And in between pitches taking pictures on my phone because it's so beautiful and just sending it to people. I love that. I love that. It, I still am excited to do that, that it's still that, that I can sit in that seat. Let's be clear. I done well over a hundred games at Wrigley field before I ever got the job. Yet even still now two years plus a little bit into it, there's still, plenty of nights when I sit there and whether it's full or empty and it feels completely brand new because it's so beautiful and so special. It's the second oldest park in America next to Fenway Park. I don't know if this is a fair thing to ask, but I will. Is there a good comparison between the two? They evoke similar things. That's that's for sure. I think that the the brick part of Wrigley makes it just prettier I mean, that's always been right there as one of my favorite parks. Again, it's it's got that old-timey feel. It has the signature with the wall. I've told this story before. You know, I've known David Ross since his time in Atlanta. But this is totally true, this story. But it, it this is the Fenway version of what I was just saying about Wrigley. And that is, we were doing a TV game at Fenway Park a few years back. And we decided to go over a bit early. So we walked over and the way Fenway works, you go in the press gate behind home plate. And then we decided we wanted to go out onto the field. And so at Fenway, the best way to do that is you basically just go up this subtle ramp that puts you behind home plate, but just to the right. So slightly up the first base side. So what that does, and then we were going to go onto the field, the access right by the dugout, the first base dugout, the Red Sox dugout. But what that does is that ramp just to the right of home plate, when you walk up, you're walking straight up. And the first thing you see is the monster. That's out toward left center field. It very well. Bradley moving back. He'll pull up. This one's going to go off the monster. Espinosa got a terrific jump from first base. He's going to drive to left center field. Hit well. It will hit the monster and Karam. Maurer will score. And I still remember it. And Rossi and I have, have talked about it. And I've told the story. But so we're doing this game. We get to the ballpark early. You want to go on the field? Yeah, let's go on the field. So we walk and then we walk up the ramp. And we both have our suit jackets over our shoulders. And we get to the top of the ramp. So now we're on the concourse, just to the first base side of home plate. And the monster's staring in front of us. And now stop and think. 
I've called 150 games of that ballpark. Rossi played in that ballpark, won the World Series in that ballpark, and we both stop, look at the monster, look at each other, smile, and have the same reaction, which is, man, that's cool, isn't it? It's history. That's what it is. I I was only there once, and that was for a playoff game with the White Sox on their way to the World Series championship in 2005. Did you? Well, what was most exciting about that particular series was the sixth inning when El Duque Hernandez came on, loaded the bases with nobody out, and struck out the side. 3-2 pitch. Oh, he gets him to go! El Duque goes charging off as well he should. He comes in with the bases loaded and gets Veritek, Graffinino, and Damon. What I noticed about Fenway Park then, of course, they didn't do the renovation then, is that it looked like it needed a renovation, kind of like Wrigley Field. So I imagine the ballpark looks a lot better these days than it did back in 2005. That is all wholly accurate, I would say. They did a very good job with their renovation. I would say it's it's got a tighter, smaller feel. And then because of the area around the park, they were able to do other things and add on decks and stuff like that. But yeah, it was it was beat up. It was beat up and just tight, but they did a nice job with it in a similar way to, to the, you know, the way the the folks did it at Wrigley. They it, I would honestly say they probably could stand to probably go another round and do a bit more again sometime soon but it's uh it's a special place to go to go see a game and I've been there as a fan I was there in 04 as a fan I was on uh up on the monster seats just taking it in when they play the Yankees in the LCS and yeah I still remember El Duque in that spot loading the bases and then getting out of it it was uh it was wild. When's the last time you had your air ducts cleaned? Here's the best solution, Mr. Duct, a name Chicagoland has trusted for over 20 years. They work on your furnaces, air conditioners, and do repairs, maintenance, and installations. In other words, they're your all-around company for air quality choice and more. Mr. Duct provides on-site commercial ventilation cleaning estimates. You'd be hard-pressed to find better. So give them a call at 888-4-MR-DUCT. That's 888-467-3828. And Mr. Duct is the right choice to clean your residential dryer vents. They do a full inspection to make sure your dryers are running properly. Mr. Duct works with schools, health facilities, and office buildings to make sure you're breathing clean air. Their testimonials are endless, and with good reason. So don't think twice when you're ready to work on air ducts, dry vents, and so much more. Just think Mr. Duct. Duct, 888-4-MR-DUCT. That's 888-467-3828. And find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. You replaced a guy you worked with in Miami, Len Casper, who, of course, is now the TV voice of the Cubs. It's interesting how this all works out. Yeah, he's one of my closest friends. And, you know, we, I mean, we talk a ton and, we became fast friends when he became the TV voice in Miami. And, you know, when the job came open, I, you know, I knew about it in advance and yeah, initially it wasn't, it probably wasn't immediately on 
on my radar. I was probably more concentrated on how Len was. Is Len happy? That was really more my my focus. You know, I had a full-time job at ESPN. So that was really more what I was concentrating on. Think about the men that have preceded you at Wrigley Field. There's Len, Chip Carey, Harry Carey, and Jack Brickhouse. That is quite a group. Yeah, so I guess it was 2021, the end of the year, as you started to have more crowds. But the Cubs are playing the Cardinals at some point in September. And we had a day game. It was during the week against the Cardinals. And the door closes behind me. And I turn around, and it's Adam Wainwright. Hmm. And he would do these things and still does. He calls them old man walks where, you know, now he's played in all these ballparks. He wants to get out and see some of the things that he doesn't normally get a chance to see. So I turn around and I say, Hey, Wayno, what's going on? He's like, you know, I've never been up here. And then like a little kid, he says to me, now, is that where, where Harry sat? And I said, <laughs> well, yeah. Way back. Might be out of here. Hey, hey, hey. hey. He did it yeah i mean it's the lineage in terms of the broadcasters i got to see chip the last few days um you know we have the connection with atlanta we have the connection through uh you know through his his dad in atlanta and through his you know granddad here so it's uh it's it's pretty cool no, I mean, Chip is a great guy. I'm thinking to myself, when we were growing up and, and listening to people like Harry Carey and maybe Bob Prince of Pittsburgh, they're one of a kind. And I'm not sure in the case of a Harry Carey, you would ever see that kind of broadcaster again. The unwritten rules of broadcasting the games have changed. I wonder if that's good. Well, he was certainly super comfortable being himself. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think you'd have to make the case you know, in a different way. He had such a unique voice, but I, Skip was the same way. I mean, Skip Carey, you know, he didn't have that classic broadcaster voice, but they were so authentically themselves. And they're sort of like characters, you know, Harry's, I mean, I, I, I don't know whether you've heard the story before. I don't know whether, how are we with cursing on this particular podcast, George? Say whatever you want. I mean, this is this is a a true story that it's like there's a writer's strike right now, but I it 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 reads and sounds like I wrote it. I swear to you, it is 100 percent true. I and it, and every time I tell it, I'm like, wow, I may have one of the best Harry Carey stories of all time. But my first game on the road with the Marlins was 1997, and the first pitch. It was 27 degrees. I think in terms of that they've kept track of it, I believe it's the coldest first pitch temperature. Might be wrong. But anyway, 1997, I am the pregame, postgame, in-game scores guy, but I'm traveling, so it's pretty amazing. I'd been to Wrigley one other time. I finished the pregame show. It is freezing <laughs> and I have to go to the bathroom. I have to come back and do lineup. So I finished the pregame show, throw it to break, 
run to the restroom, two urinals, one stall, take care real quick, washing my hands. As I'm washing my hands, Harry walks into the empty bathroom. He goes into the stall. Now I am drying my hands. And as God is my witness, from the stall I hear, not directed at me, just out loud from Harry Carey, I got so many damn clothes on, I can't find my dick. <laughs> and I'm drying my hands, and I look around, and I'm like, holy shit, that just happened. <laughs> I burst out laughing, and I run to the booth to go tell oh. Dave O'Brien and Joe Angel. But, like, that in my brief interactions with him and what he was like, that was him. And I got this little story. He wasn't even aware I was there. He just, he would have done it whether I was or wasn't there. He was not doing it for me. It was incredible. But, like, that that's authentic him, right? The, yes, the it is. Stories of him <laughs> engaging with people and just truly being himself. So, it just, it always makes me smile and I... When I was in Atlanta, Chip and Skip were always so good to me. And I, yeah, I just, I don't know. I got a lot of love for for that for that family and a lot of respect for just the authenticity of uh, the way they broadcast. Right now, you work in a booth with Jim Deshays and from time to time, Joe Girardi, Rick Sutcliffe, Ryan Dempster. I wonder if that's difficult having multi-analysts so I've been prepared for it. I mean, look, at ESPN, when you're doing national games, on the radio, my steady partner for the longest time, I had one year of Dave Campbell, and then I was with Chris Singleton forever, and now I'm with Doug Glanville. You know, there are other fill-ins here and there. But on TV, I mean, over the years, between Major League Baseball, college baseball, I worked with, on television, Rick Sutcliffe, David Ross, Aaron Boone, uh, Chris Singleton, Doug Glanville, Alex Cora, Kyle Peterson, Raul Abanez, like a nonstop list. So I would say I have good training in, in it. It's a it's a little challenging when you know when you're bouncing from one to the other. I think right now with the pitch clock. And the way the game in, in regional television, the way the game morphed into at times pretty ponderous with the ball not being in play and so much space, they just sold everything. And now you're trying to, you know, you're trying to stuff a three-week trip into a carry-on. So there's that. And then when you put with the pitch clock, a third person in there, it's it's challenging at times for sure. But in terms of all the different guys, the one thing that I would tell you, George, that I'm fortunate about in terms of all those dudes, I worked seven years at ESPN with Rick Sutcliffe. Deep to left, way back there, and that one is gone. Wow! He threw his back down like it was an out, and he's homered to tie this thing at one apiece. Goodness. I spent seven and a half years watching this exact same thing. When those flags are blowing out and you miss your location, you elevate a pitch. I've known Ryan Dempster since 1998, and we've been friends and stayed connected and 
even not working together, we would have dinner once or twice a year and stay in touch. Doug Glanville's a guy that I've been friends with since he played. Um, I've always had a good connection with Joe. And then JD's one of my favorite people on the planet. As he serves that one out into right field. Oh, Seiya Suzuki, what a catch. Yeah, he's made a number of uh, highlight reel plays out there already this year. I've talked uh, in recent days about the improved outfield jump for Suzuki. So I'm not saying there's there's no factor because that would be untrue, but I'm fortunate that I have a specific connection for the most part with each of those guys that I think facilitates it at least a bit. I want to take you back to October of 2003. Wrigley oh, Field, Cubs Marlins. Game six of the NLCS. It's the famous Bartman game. You're in a booth with Casper and Dave Van Horn. I was there in the upper deck covering the game. What was that event? And I like to call it an event like for you. It was surreal. You know, they're showing Bartman. We, you know, it's, I think TV turned it into the thing. I will say, you know, the Alex Gonzalez error was a pretty big part of that inning too. And then, you know, the Marlins came up with some big hits. Dave Van Horn was had the play-by-play for that inning. Um, and Len was sitting on the steps behind me. And the one part that I remember was, you know, the one of the biggest hits in the inning was Mike Mordecai. I think it, it was a, a double into the yeah. gap. That ball hammered into left center field on the run. Alou on the run is lofted and it's off the ivy. Three runs are going to score on a double by Mordecai. A seven-run Florida eighth inning. And when he hits the ball, Len is behind me, and he, like, grabs my coat and yanks it, like, because it was just a line drive, and it was like, oh, my gosh. And then it kind of splits the gap and goes, and now you realize everybody's going to score, and he grabs my coat, like, two more times. You know, like, holy shit, what, what just happened? And, yeah, it was... It was, you know, you're you're five outs away from your season ending. And then that turn of events. Um, you know, I'll also say in game seven, Pudge Rodriguez hits a homer, but Kerry Wood hit a homer in that game. I've had people tell me that with all due respect to any of the World Series or playoff games in 2016, that Kerry Wood's home run in game seven of 03 was the loudest they'd ever heard Wrigley Field. In the air, left center field, Kerry Wood plays long ball. I can tell you this. I felt unsafe. I was in the <laughs> press box, and the press box was moving in a way that felt very unsafe, truly. I remember that, too, because I was in the stands, and here's what happened with me. Game six, I'm on the phone with a travel agent, which, of course, you did by phone back then for my trip to New York and my yep. first ever trip to Yankee Stadium. Well, eventually I hung up. Same thing in game seven. And finally, I told the agent, forget about it. I'm never coming to New York and Yankee Stadium. And that's what happened. And yes, even though Kerry Woods home run, and I remember it because the place was yep. loud, I mean, the Cubs were five outs away from a World Series, and they yep. didn't make it, but eventually they did. 
it's weird how things can change. And in the split second in this game of baseball, which you really have loved since you were very young, and like most of the people that I have interviewed, particularly play-by-play guys, this is something they wanted to do when they were a kid. I, I always recall the interview I did with Charlie Steiner, who I've known now for over 40 years. And he told me the story that when he was a child living in Brooklyn, he took a tape recorder and was calling the Brooklyn Dodgers World Series game from his living room. And then so many years later, he was calling the Dodgers World Series game from his living room during COVID. It's one of the most unique stories I have ever heard. That is pretty pretty wild, calling a Dodgers World Series game in your living room as a kid into a tape recorder and then doing it in COVID, which was some of the most, gosh, that was bizarre times. I mean, I, I we called it from the studio in Bristol, uh, not the World Series, but I called all the playoff games from there and called every – yeah, we called every every regular season game from there as well. It was, it was bizarre. You mentioned that you did the Atlanta Braves for a couple of years, and then two years later, ESPN called upon you, and that had to be a monumental leap for you professionally and personally. Yeah, it was a it was it was big. It was really it was really cool, and I just I love getting a chance to see you know, so many teams and going all over the place and getting a chance to take in all the big games. If you want to hear more guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, all you have to do is go to Last Word on Sports on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to the many wonderful interviews we've done dating back to January of 2021. We resume with John Boogshambi on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. We were mentioning, or you were, the the pitch clock. So I want to just get your opinion on the changes of the game thus far. Uh, Let's start with the pitch clock. It's almost astounding to think how well all of these changes have worked in terms of what, you know, what they were trying to do. It's, it's, It's accomplished the goal. I hope that it holds in terms of just the ball being in play more frequently, limiting the amount of dead time, and then shortening the overall time. I I think for the most part, you know, in today's world of, you know, short attention span theater, I think that, you know, your goal would be to have most sporting events that are playing multiple times a week take place in roughly a two and a half hour window. Um, you know, that doesn't hold for, for football because it's just, it's once a week, but, uh, for the other stuff, I think that's what you're looking for. I I don't know how you could really complain about any of it. You know, it's funny, Joe Girardi brought up something the other night about, you know, maybe the pitcher should get a timeout. And I said, my, my response was, what are you trying to solve for? And he was kind of like, well, I, I, what do you mean? And I, and I was saying, all these rules are, there's a purpose to them. The, the shift restriction is because if you're a left-handed hitter and you pull the ground ball, you know, last year you hit 145. And so they changed the rules. They put a pitch clock in because time of game was getting too long. Um, so they're trying, you know, they put bigger bases in to, 
hopefully help avoid injuries and uh, push base stealing and all those things have happened. So I, to me, it's worked really, really well. But it had to be a challenge, and I don't know if it still is a challenge, for a broadcaster who suddenly had enough time to tell stories, well, you don't have that much time anymore. Yeah, so I think the other part is, I don't know when I became one of the old guys, but I am. Like, this is the way it was when I started. You know, it's, it. you know, and if you go back and look at some of the stuff, I remember seeing you know, highlights of like the 75 World Series and Louis Tion's pitching in high leverage situations and getting the ball back with two guys on at the one run game in the sixth inning and pitching every 14 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I certainly have done, you know, but it's an adjustment back to that. And I would say it is more challenging in a, in a three man booth um, when we, when we had that, but in the overall that here's, so, and yes, I, you know, I love getting a chance to tell good stories to humanize, you know, our players. And that's the stuff that allows the fans to connect to the players. That said, if the game on the field is more entertaining and improved, then our broadcast will be improved, period. The bigger bases, more stolen bases, I get that. There's the shift, which is paying dividends to left-handed hitters. But I have said this before, and I'm going to say it again. I'm always against a rule penalizing defenses. My tweak would be I'm against a rule that penalizes smart. Like what's the distinction between you're not allowed to put your defenders where George hits the ball and George doesn't hit sliders. Well, now he's not allowed to be thrown any sliders. Like that's the one leap. Now that said, it's a visceral change is what's happening. It's not, it's not really relevant, George. Like in, in the way the game is played now, it's too hard to hit. This game's not about singles through the right side anymore. It's not. Does, are, there, are there things that dovetail off of, you know, now there's a shift restriction? Yeah. Are we seeing more first to third? A little bit. But this game is still, it's so hard to string hits together. And the way you're going to win more often than not is with extra base hits. And so it look left-handed pulled ground balls. The numbers have jumped for sure, but in the overall, how much has it changed things batting average on balls in play? I mean, it's bumped five points, something like that. It's not, it's just not doing anything. And so like, I get you in terms of penalizing the defense, the only thing is, is like, you just got to be careful. It's, it's harder to hit now than it's ever been, period. And in the playoffs last year, teams hit 211. 211 in the postseason. Everybody. Nobody wants to watch a 211 hitter. Ever. Like, you just don't. So, in the end, I sort of come around on the, the shift component because it's what fans don't like seeing all the players lined up on that side. They think it's impacting the game probably more than it actually is. They don't want it. I'm good. You're going to be calling the World Series for ESP and radio, replacing someone I've also known for over 40 years, Dan Schulman. But back in 2018, you replaced him for a different reason, and it turned out to be one of the great highlights of your career. So in 20, 2018, 
he uh, he had laryngitis, and I got to call the clincher game five of the World Series when the Red Sox beat the Dodgers out in Los Angeles. So I I flew out from New York to, to L.A. I was on my couch watching <laughs> watching the the World Series, and um and his voice had gotten pretty thin. So I got to call the you know the ultimate game, the game five when they when they won it all. Sale again looks in. He's ready. Turns, kicks, fires, swing into this. Is over. The Boston Red Sox, baseball's best all season long. They have won it all, and the celebration begins. That was certainly special. And I, I mean, I'll be you know transparent. Over the years, I definitely have told Dan that there was a you know a chance I might put something in his drink or you know do something nefarious at some point. And finally, in eighteen, it worked. You and I have something in common, and it's not just the business and our love for baseball. Back in 2013, I lost one of my dearest friends to ALS, better known as the Lou Gehrig disease. His name is Ronnie Stroll, and I say is because I always get a laugh when I think about him. You, too, lost a dear friend in the same same dreaded disease. Tell me a story I don't know about Tim Sheehy and how it made you take a very different path in life. Yeah, so growing up in New York City, uh, I moved to this place called Roosevelt Island in 1977, and um, there was a group of kids, all athletes. I met, you know, one of that one of our group was a kid named Tim Sheehy, and Tim um, was someone we stayed connected to, you know, into adulthood and in 2005 he was walking on a golf course tripped and fell and was starting to have some coordination issues and you know initially they couldn't really figure out what it was but ultimately in 05 he was diagnosed with ALS and by 2007 he was gone in the middle because he and his wife Katie were having so much trouble financially just dealing with the cost of care we decided to start a 501c3 Roosevelt Island has one street, Main Street. So we called it Project Main Street. Tim was the one that helped develop the charter. It's a really small space in the ALS community because most of the money goes to research. And that is to say the ALS research pool is not particularly big relative to the fact that it's an incurable disease. So again, you know, People spend hundreds of thousands of dollars needing care. And our little charity just tries to raise money. And, you know, over the years, I tried to help push for uh, a Lou Gehrig day. Eventually, a group put together a committee and Major League Baseball is nice enough to do it. So every year it's it's June 2nd. And you did a wonderful commercial for it for I Am ALS. Lou was told ALS would kill him and showed us grace. Brian got the same news because there's still no cure. But now, with Lou Gehrig style grit, we're changing that. Which gives me the chance to be the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Together, we can finish Lou's fight and end ALS. Project Main Street just had our Tim Sheehy gala and softball, and we get a chance to remember Tim and talk about him. 
and smile. And then every dollar in goes out to help someone living with the disease. And, you know, May is ALS Awareness Month. June 2nd's a big deal. The Cubs are going to be doing their own. They're on the road June 2nd in San Diego. They're going to be doing their own Lou Gehrig Day on June 15th. So it's just, it's something that's personal. I think, you know, it's pretty sad that if Lou Gehrig was diagnosed with ALS today, like it would play out exactly the same way. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It, it's pretty stark if you you think about that, that um that it hasn't really changed. So that, that makes me sad. Um, you know, my hope is that our charity becomes unnecessary at some point in my lifetime. But uh I think in the overall, I just I look at it as trying to be of service, trying to care for others and you know put love and you know good vibes out there for people it's very admirable i have to say the least you are now 53 do you feel like the cubs are your last stop when it comes to a home team broadcast or do you keep your options open no this is where i want to be like i think that one of the things i've liked i've enjoyed this job more than i even thought that i would but yeah this this is this is the place right here. I, I I don't, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I was born in Philadelphia. I grew up in New York city. I went to college in Boston and uh, I'm in Chicago right now. This is home. It feels like home. This is where I want to be. So I, I, I'd like to keep doing the world series for a little while on the radio, but I, I'd like to be a cub until I stop doing this. That's, that's really my hope period. I asked this final question to all my guests. If not for sports broadcasting, what would you have been? Annoying. I mean, I annoying. <laughs> as a sports broadcaster, somebody <laughs> talks and has stupid opinions. Um, you know, I at some I love to argue as a kid. At some point, I said, you know, I think early in my career, I I said like a lawyer or an attorney, but I don't think that that's there's something about this job that is, you know, performance based. I, I I don't have a good answer for you. I, I think I, I was dumb enough to not even contemplate the idea that I might not be good enough. Like that didn't even that didn't even go across my radar. So I, I truly don't have an, an answer for you. You know, everything changed so much, but I, I will tell you this. I get to do college basketball. I've done football, but baseball's my love. And if you were to ask me, what do you love more, baseball or broadcasting? I'm not really sure, man. I love baseball. So I don't have an answer for for what um for what I would have would have done. I feel, you know, pretty blessed and grateful that that I was lucky enough to make this work. Well, believe me, you're not the only one who didn't have an answer for that. However, no one ever said annoying. This has been a pleasure and delight, and I might add a long time in coming, but it was well yeah. worth the wait. Thank you, John Shambi, for telling me a story I don't know. Thanks, George. My thanks to the Marquee Sports Network, Fox Sports, WGN-TV, and ESPN Radio for those fabulous highlights.
And my thanks as always to the people behind the scenes that help make this wonderful podcast possible. TJ Reeves for putting us on the map, Will Hatzel for his crafty editing, Nick Tochi for our wonderful graphics, and to our new partner, Last Word on Sports. And to our presenting sponsor, Mr. Duct. You can find them at mrductcleaning.com. Tune in next week when we feature another intriguing guest on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.